Welcome to the Speakeasy and our new sit-down interview series called Whiskey Made Me Say It. We will interview the most interesting and humorous golfers, whiskey makers, and enthusiasts and enjoy their perspective on life. Sit back and enjoy Whiskey Made Me Say It. In this week's episode of Whiskey Made Me Say It, we have Jennifer Wren, Head of Advocacy and Select Private Cast at the Virginia Distilling Company. All right, Speakeasy fans, we're here, and I have a special guest from the Virginia Distilling Company. Uh, we have Jennifer Wren. Uh, Jennifer, how are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. And you don't have to call me sir. I know I'm old, but but that's okay. Uh, so uh, kind of an exciting news inside of the, the Speakeasy. We're getting ready to have a golf weekend, uh, December 1 through 3. And a big centerpiece of that is I'm a huge single malt fan. Uh, and we have one of the best American single malts in the country, literally 45 minutes from us. So we're going to come out to y'all and, and take a tour. So I guess question number one is just give us a little background about the Virginia Distilling Company, as well as how you showed up here, Jennifer. I know you said you're part-time, uh. <laughs> uh, sometimes in Virginia and sometimes uh, not in Virginia. So give us a little history on how you ended up at, at the Virginia Distilling Company. Uh, so, uh, wow, there's a, there's a lot here. So first I'll introduce the, uh, the company. Um, so we were founded, uh, we have, we have this like storied history, um, by an Irishman, uh, Dr. George Moore, who was obsessed with Scottish single malt. So it. you have a lot of influences from the UK. Um, and George, uh, he came over to the United States in the seventies and he, you know, made his fortune, uh, in tech. Um, and this is the early days of tech. This is the 1970s and the 80s. Um, but that was not really what he loved and what he wanted to do. Um, George's true passion was single malt. And he wanted, he had this dream to build a single malt distillery in his chosen home of Virginia. So that is what we like to refer to as our hero origin story. Um, and where we get what we call our inherited vision. Um, unfortunately, during the process of building the distillery uh, in 2013, George suddenly passed away. So the family, the Moore family, uh, his wife, Angela, and his son, Gareth, decided to keep the business alive and in a fateful decision, uh, took on the whiskey business. And mm -hmm. that is how it brings us to today in 2023. Um, our first whiskey ran from the stills in 2015. And now we are just eking into almost that decade of making American single malt. And uh, it's fantastic. It's going really well. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. And then how did I get here? Um, uh, so the, the single malt world in general, not just Scottish or American or Irish or um, Korean. It's a very small universe. A lot of people know each other. A lot of people work together. So I was working for a wonderful Scottish single malt, actually two, um, called the Dalmore and Jura, mm -hmm. both beautiful single malts. And uh, there was a gentleman who at the time was the brand manager in the U.S. for Jura. And uh, we always kept in touch. Very good friends, colleagues, had a wonderful working relationship. And so about two years ago, um, gosh, yeah, just about two years ago, um, he called me up and he, you know, he said, I'm, I'm working with this incredible company in Virginia. And I was like, oh, that's so great. And then just over a series of time, you know, one conversation led to another and the company was really interested in expanding um, it's it, what we call in the industry advocacy. So this is outreach to whiskey enthusiasts, the trade, uh, the press. Um, and they didn't have someone in a role who was kind of leading that advocacy charge. And that's how I wound up here. So after an almost 
over a decade a career in Scottish single malt. I am now working officially for my first American whiskey, and it just happens to be the most award award winning American single malt in the country. So yeah, that's no, that's, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's well played by you. Well played. Yeah, um, yeah very lucky. And also, uh, you you had asked about Los Angeles and and Virginia. So, um, my my single malt career previously had taken me to the West Coast. Yeah. Um, and with uh, VDC, I handle business on a national level. So I work in multiple markets. I do events in multiple markets. So I, my, where I live is kind of irrelevant, but yeah. I do love um, a, a couple times a year, I get to do what I call the homecoming and come back to the distillery in Charlottesville. So I am here this week with awesome. my team. It has been wonderful. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a nice place to live. I can't argue. It sure is. Central Virginia is, is, I'm very lucky living here. Um, so I, I think, yeah, so I, I love the backstory. I've been reading and, and, and listening to all of the, I guess the beauty is you do have this great story of how it all came about and it, and it spans Irish and Scottish and, and kind of the American single malt. I, I, you know, I actually did some testing last night. I opened up my, uh, courage and conviction, uh, reserve the double Oak. Uh, how did that name came up, come about? And uh, how does that kind of, the name kind of follow the ethos of the company? Oh, I love that. So um, so Double Oak is very specific. It, it came out very recently. It was released uh, just a couple months ago in Virginia and is now making its way across the country. So I think it's going to start hitting Texas right about this week, actually, and, and um, California right about this week or next week. Um, so I, I'm going to as my my southern mother likes to say, I'm going to build a watch to tell you what time it is. So uh, perfect. There's there's a couple ethoses, uh, etho if I, um, of courage and conviction. Uh, so number one is we start everything with a world class distillate. Our distillery was built, uh, designed and built by a gentleman from Bowmore Distillery in Isla named Harry Coburn. Mm -hmm. um, so every inch of our distillery is designed to make world-class distillate. You cannot make good whiskey unless you start with a very, very beautiful, beautiful distillate. Um, from that point on, um, in every single process of making courage and conviction, the dedication uh, to the whiskey is based on George. Um, yeah. George used to say, have the courage of your convictions. And that compels us uh, to make exceptional whiskey every day in everything that we do. So, so we're working in this idea that we are never going to cut corners. We are never going to be fast. We're going to be deliberate, determined, and strategic in creating this liquid. So big ethos for us with courage and conviction right now. And I always say right now because our uh, lead blender, Amanda, is a very, very curious and experimental uh, whiskey maker. All of the courage and conviction, everything, the signature malt, the expressions, they are all first maturation. Okay, now, mm -hmm. now let me explain why that matters so much. Um, it was funny because earlier this morning, there's a, there's a guy on Instagram called that one dude, Ryan, who did uh, a little video about this. And so I've been talking about maturation all morning. But point being... Um, a lot of folks, especially folks who are familiar with Scottish single malt, are very familiar with the term finishing. So mm -hmm. the whiskey starts its life typically in an ex-bourbon cask and then is moved to some sort of secondary cask. Could be wine, could be sherry, could be beer, could be any number of things, right? We don't do that. So the entire line of courage and conviction is first maturation. So if you can imagine... What we do for our signature malt is we use ex-bourbon American oak, 
we use red wine cuvee casks, and we use three different kinds of sherry casks. And in all of those separate casks, our whiskey ages for a minimum of four years. Yeah. So once we remove it from the cask, we're not putting it then into a finishing cask. We're taking that fully maturated liquid and marrying it all together and using slow water reduction to create a cohesive flavor profile. So double cask reserve. What's special and the reason it got its name is you just heard me say Signature has all these different casks and all these this range of casks. Double cask is five years first maturation in ex-bourbon American oak, five years first maturation in red wine cuvee, then brought together for just about nine to 12 months, married together. Again, no finishing cask, just brought together. And then the result is the incredible whiskey you are drinking behind you. Um, I was laughing so hard. You said testing it. Um, we had an event <laughs> at the distillery last night. And they were making cocktails. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have double cask reserve neat because it's just so good. That, that's what I did last night. I loved it because, you know, when, when you actually smell it, it I, you smell the, the malt. You, it brings you that Irish scotch. Like, yeah, you're like, I know what this is going to taste like. But as soon as you taste it, it's completely different than your traditional Irish and your traditional scotch. And you're just like, oh, it's got a little American punchy flavor to it. It was, it was very interesting. It was very interesting. I'm so glad I you like enjoyed it. it. <laughs> um, so uh, again, we're a golf podcast, so I'm not going to ask you a golf question. I know you're a world class golfer in your own right, uh, but but the, there's a great tradition. <laughs> there's a great tradition with golf, and, and you know the, the tradition in golf is you know goes back all the way through to Ireland and Scotland. Kind of mirrors that of when whiskey came about. So they they run these these kind of rich paths together, highs and lows. The whiskey uh, world kind of hit hit a bump there in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Golf in general kind of hit the same bump in that same time zone. Uh, with COVID, golf had this huge resurgence. Uh, whiskey has gone completely crazy from the 90s on. Um, so, so it's kind of the the parallel paths of golf and whiskey are very interesting to me. Uh, but kind of with that tradition, there's tons of new technology inside of the golf world. There's oh, technology through through the roof we can measure everything uh from what the person's how the brain's working over a golf ball heart rates how the club moves how the body moves how the ball like we can we do all that but when it comes down to it it's a player on the golf course having to perform so how do you all take all the technologies that are involved uh in the whiskey making but yet still kind of hold true to some of the traditions uh, of kind of past generations making single malts. That's a that's an incredible question, and I and I love it because I I do think there is how do I put this? Um, I think there's some idea that people get in their head that craft spirits means like a bunch of dudes using like technology from 1832 and they're making three bottles of whiskey right okay. and, it's, and it's like everything's like old-fashioned and everyone has like a cigarette and like a you know a, a criminal history or something right, That's right. um but the, but the, the the truth of the matter is anyone who is making good whiskey in 2023 is using a range of technology whether that is digital monitoring of what's coming out out of the spirit safe whether that is um you know scientific gauging of yield and keeping track of yield year over year and is the yeast strain that we're using creating the yield we need. So there's all these places um, in which we are now using modern technology at our distillery and at other distilleries to monitor the quality of each 
step of what we do. So first and foremost, many distilleries these days are digitized or computerized, which is not to say that there is not a human touch and which yeah. is not to say there is not somebody constantly sitting at that console ready to act using older technology should something go wrong, right? So first first and foremost, yeah. um, we have some of the most modern technology for, for watching over our distillate, taking care of it and ensuring quality. The second thing I'll say is that um, we like to use the phrase uh, new world malt meets old world technique. Okay, so what the hell does that mean really? Well, the, one of the biggest innovations, I know it sounds kind of funny, um, <laughs> the innovations for us, it's weather. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like weather, right? Okay, now, now go with me down this, or down this path. When we were talking Scottish and Irish single malt, the climate is, you know, always going to be within a tight 20 degrees. Now that's changing a little with climate change, but typically Northern Scotland, tight 20 yeah. degrees, you're going to get like, you know, 40s to 60s. You're not going to get these wild temperature swings. So what George did in essence is he took a product that was being made out of um, malted barley that had all this, this tradition to it and brought it here where we have made the decision to actively expose it to Virginia's dynamic climate, which is kind of a funny thing to say. It doesn't sound like technology, but no one had ever done that before. No one had yeah. ever taken this delicate malt using techniques that were brought over from Scotland and exposed it to this volatile climate that has 40 degree temperature swings in one day. I mean, we're doing it. I mean, Brian, you're here. You know, we're yeah. doing it right now. This morning I woke up, it was like, I think it was like 42 degrees and this afternoon it's going to be 80 something. Yep. Um, so, so part of our ethos of this kind of new world malt is as our malt ages in casks that are brought over from Europe, so old world style sherries, old yep. world style wines, our new world malt is having this dynamic relationship to the wood that would not have been possible in a quieter, more, uh, more delicate climate. So our technology is actually like nature, which is such a funny <laughs> thing to say. Um, but you know, but it's something we we really celebrate. We also, um, we do not have climate control warehouses and we don't move our barrels. So like if a barrel happens to be up in the corner and it's super hot that summer, you're going to get an effect from that. Barrels down on the ground, super cold that winter, you're going to get an effect from that. Yeah. Um, so I, I hope that answered your question. It does. Uh, <laughs> good. No, no, it does. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I, I always that's probably the part when I first started studying whiskey is is the the effect of the barrel and weather and you know like when you're talking American bourbons you're talking like they say the sweet spots about seven years mm -hmm. just because Kentucky the the weather is so volatile like in Virginia you know we get really we get cold winters and we get really hot summers so you know you can think of it you know we can be in the 30s in the winters and we can be a hundred in the summer like we have this huge span of weather where typically Ireland and Scotland is a little more temperate. Um, so, I, you know, I think that's really kind of the, the artistry part of, you know, and, you know, putting something in a barrel and just walking away. I, for me, as a kind of a control freak, I'm a golf coach, I'm a golfer, we like to try to control everything. I don't know if I could survive in that world. Well, you know, it's funny. I and, and again, that's a little bit of a misnomer. You know, it's we're not in a situation where we're just like, oh, that's a that's a great Pedro Jimenez barrel. And we're just going to leave it alone for fifteen years. Those are monitored constantly. Oh no, no, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, like, I got you. But, but it's yeah. still the it's still the fact of Mother Nature. Like we can move it, we can try to control parts, but it, a lot of it, you just kind of got to stand back and go, let's see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> which is, and which you is know, and interesting. Like, but then it, 
in the industry and I, you know, I've talked to, I'm not a whiskey maker myself, but I, I've spent a lot of time with some of the best in the world. And, you know, what begins to happen as you become a seasoned whiskey maker is you are very good from a scientific point of view, predicting. So yeah. once you've been making a whiskey, like, you know, Amanda, for instance, she's been making whiskey for a certain amount of time. And in year four, she starts to notice that every time we have a pheno cast, there's a pineapple note in year four. That means yeah. that logically through experience, she can predict that in year five, there might be a, a refined honey and citrus note that she's seen repeatedly show up multiple yeah. times, you know? So it's like there, it, she says it's science. I also do think it's a little bit of art. I think there's a lot I of think it's, I think it's, a, a, it's, it's, it's sports. It's the same way. There's, there's science, yeah. but there's still the human element of, of taking those experience and that wisdom and saying, I can apply it to this situation. I've never been in this situation, but I can apply all my past knowledge and, and kind of anticipate what's going to happen, but I can't guarantee it. Uh, so again, like I said, the, the golf world and, and to me, whiskey are very similar. Uh, kind of a, a side note to kind of the technology and the history. I think you all have been a, kind of on the cutting edge of the uh, American single malt kind of coming into its, taking its rightful spot next to the bourbon, next to Rise, uh, the American single malt with some legislation of of trying to protect the brand and and making sure that when people have American single malts anywhere in the U.S. or in the world, that there's going to be at least some basic guidelines that everyone needs to follow. So can you give us just a little insight on on kind of the the movement of that? I know we're getting closer, maybe. Um, and, yeah. And kind of, um, <laughs> so I know I love the question and, and I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I've definitely had a, several people out in the wild be like, well, why don't you why do you want the government legislating your whiskey? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not about that at all. In fact, um, the rules as laid down create a lot of freedom. They, there, yeah. it's like I, I like to use um, ballet. I, 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 no one who ran into me these days would ever know I was a dancer. But um, in ballet, you cannot jeté if you cannot do first position, right? Yeah. So the idea behind it is to lay down the guidelines of the basics so that everybody can make incredible whiskey. But as you said, um, that whiskey enthusiasts, whiskey drinkers are protected. Um, it means yeah. I can't just slap a label on anything and call it American single malt and you get this far inferior product um, that you know everyone else is like adhering to a certain kind of rule. And there's also a certain honor um, in being rec you know, recognized by the federal government. Um, the last time that a whiskey category was recognized was 1969, the summer of love. Um, so it, it's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so to answer your question, um, yes, we are a founding member of the American Single Malt Whiskey Committee. Um, and a bunch of people came together uh, that were single malt whiskey makers. Some had been doing it for a long time, like, um, you know, Westland. Some of us were newer um, but we all came together as a self-governing board and said, um, we care about this and we want there to be a standardization. Uh, so just over a year ago, um, the group uh, submitted these, these guidelines to the federal government, and we have been waiting for a while um, to find out about the ratification. So um, I, can I can recite them if you, if you want. For your, for no, your, no, that's your, okay. Your <laughs> um, but the, the biggest thing is that among those rules and regulations, uh, there was no age statement. Yeah. And I am hoping there is no age statement. And the reason for that is, is that I, because the climates across the United States are so varied, yeah. extremely different than uh, the UK, it does a disservice 
to our whiskey making friends in hotter climates to force them to age longer if that's actually not the sweet spot for their whiskeys. Yeah. Um, for us, it doesn't, I mean, we're, we're aging whiskeys anywhere right now from four to seven years on average. So, so it wouldn't affect us at all. But again, we have the cold winters. So it's okay. Yeah. For, it's okay. It's cool for us. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's just going to be really exciting to find out what they, what they eventually decide. Yeah. No, I think that, yeah, it's, it's like in golf, we have, we have a governing body rules and a lot of people get mad at the rules of golf, but I always look, especially collegiately when you're, you know, competing, you're like, the rules of golf are to protect the field. You know, you got to have these rules or not everybody's playing the same game. And if everyone's not playing the same game, how, how can you compete and, and you know, actually compete fairly? So I, I think having, I love the fact that it is, it's very loose. It's not, you know, bourbon-ish where it's this and this barrel and that like very regulated. But I, I think, uh, as as a single malt fan, I think it's I think it's a good thing for sure. Um, Thank you, I, I do too. And and if you look at like you know single malts across the world um, are so different. And yeah. I love the fact that I can drink something from from any distillery in the United States, and it's going to have its own character, its own energy, its own vibe, its own flavors. I I, I hope that never changes. No, I agree. I agree. And uh, I guess a uh, kind of kind of breaking off of the, some of the traditions and stuff. Uh, grain to glass is really big. Um, so just kind of give us a little bit of ideas of where uh, the Virginia Distilling Company gets their actual malt from, uh, their, their grain, and, and a really important part is their water source on being able to create a wonderful uh, whiskey. Yeah, so um, I, as some people might know out there in whiskey land, um, barley does not yeah. grow well in the Northeast. It is it no. is not designed for this climate. And barley did not do well growing in the United States um, really until the early 1900s in which people started growing it in abundance in the middle of our country. So sort of in the breadbasket. So we get a lot of our barley from middle of the country. We get a lot of our, uh, uh, let me try that again. We get a lot of our barley um, from Southern Canada, um, from some, some very specific sources for us yeah. to grow it. Uh, there is a little anecdote uh, prior to my joining the company that they did try to grow their own barley. Um, and it was a disaster because we are whiskey makers. We are not farmers. Yes. <laughs> so, um, but that is the only portion or, or part of our whiskey making that does not happen specifically at our distillery. So from the moment the grain is brought to us from our vendors in the Midwest, um, we, from the moment it is milled all the way to the literal bottling of the whiskey, all of that happens on site in Lovingston, Virginia. Um, and we do have a lot of local ties. So for our VHW cider cask, we work with potters, uh, yeah. right down the street from us, um, oh, yeah. you know, ma making, um, you know, beautiful cider. Uh, we work with, um, uh, Laird's apple brandy very close by, um, we have sourced wine cast from some local wineries. Um, and also, you know, it's funny, we were having some conversations yesterday just about vendors and, we're, and yeah. working with local people. Uh, we hosted the Nelson County Chamber of Commerce last night. So it's very, very important for us to not only make a product that is that is very um, an example of, of Virginia, but also to work with all the incredible communities and businesses and other spirits and, and winemakers around us that are part of the fabric of Lovingston, Virginia. No, I, and I, I think, again, kind of uh, following up on that, uh, we talked about location. We're in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, um, yeah. Lovingston is a beautiful, uh, you know, about 30 minutes outside of Charlottesville proper. Um, so if you do come visit Charlottesville, definitely well within your uh, 
time frame to go out and spend a couple hours at the distillery. But what what we've we've kind of hit on this a little bit um, with the weather. But what what unique pieces of the Blue Ridge bring, I guess, into the final product of the whiskey that kind of what we talked about Colorado where some other single malts, Texas has some uh, single malts going, how, how our weather kind of separates. I know we've hit on a bunch of this, but uh, just kind of follow up on that. Well, you know, I, I'll talk a little bit. We, we uh, just also address water. Um, you know, all of the water that we use is incredibly soft. So we don't have any influence of, um, you know, minerals like, like slate um, or, or um, oh, what was the other one I was talking about the other day? Ah, it's escaping me. But, um, you know, in a lot of wines, uh, you can get you can get influence from minerality. Um, that's also true in whiskey. Our water that is filtered through the gorgeous Blue Ridge Mountains um, that surround our distillery uh, is extremely soft. My hair always looks good when I'm here. You know, <laughs> everything's really great. Um, but our water is very soft and, and virtually mineral free. Um, we get this water from an aquifer that is located underneath the distillery. We use that water in every portion, everything, you know, from cooling to reduction, every inch of our whiskey making. And then that water is completely cleaned, effluent is cleaned out, and it is given back to the land. Um, I do not think you can make whiskey without an incredible water source. Yeah. And one of the weird fun facts about us is that our water is almost chemically identical to the water that runs through the Speyside River in Scotland. Um, yeah. So there's a very big similarity between the softness of Scottish water and the softness of Virginia water. I would also say um, we like to talk about when we talk about exposing our whiskey to the climate. Um, I, I don't like to use the word terroir in whiskey. I, I don't really think it's a useful word unless we're specifically talking about uh, water source or we're talking about peat influence, which we don't have yeah. peat influence. Um, but what we do have is a sense of provenance or place. Um, when you are standing at the distillery and you're surrounded, you know, by the Blue Ridge Mountains and you're sipping, um, you know, on this beautiful American single malt, there there is just a sense of, yeah, it is the East Coast of the United States. It, it is Virginia. It has the history and you can, you can feel um, kind of the lack of better phrase, the spirit of the land. Uh, you yes. know, it, it's quite lovely. Yeah, no, they're definitely inside of Virginia with with Jefferson, Monroe, uh, you know, Madison's house is all within, again, about 45 minutes of each other. So, yeah, mm -hmm. the, the, the history and, and then, of course, George Washington being one of the first whiskey makers ever. Um, yes. Big whiskey makers actually, inside um, the U.S. They, one of the reasons um, that, you know, George Washington, you know, he started with malt and then he actually shifted over to using other grains was the failure of growing malt on the east coast they just couldn't make it happen yeah. um so you see in the history of washington's distillery there's this this start with this goal to have you know malted or malt malt whiskeys and then they they begin to shift over to rye very quickly because they're just failing at it <laughs> so. yeah yeah rye, rye grows very well throughout the uh the northeast <laughs> there's no doubt about it sure golf does. courses you see rye grass everywhere uh, yes. i think yeah i think uh you know, we as golfers love to create great stories. Uh, we're, we're like fishermen. You know, we, we hit one great shot and it, it gets better and better with time. So give me one of the great antidotes from the Virginia Distilling Company. It's the, like the, the story that just kind of encapsulates what y'all do and, and might have grown a little bit in gravitas over the years. Well, you know, I, I think the biggest thing, you know, go, going back a little bit to our origin story, um, 
after George passed away, uh, you know, Angela and um, Gareth, uh, George's son, they didn't really know a lot about the whiskey business. And what I mean is not like the whiskey business, but I mean this whiskey yeah. business. Um, this was something that that George had been building with Harry Coburn and uh, a couple of his friends. And at the point in which George passed away, they had not even been to the the, the actual distillery site that was being built at the time it was half built. And so, you know, uh, Gareth was a grown man with a family working in D.C. Angela split her time between the United States and Ireland. So when this happened, you know, Gareth went down to the distillery site for the first time. And George had sourced these gigantic pot stills, beautiful mm. pot stills um, that were from Elgin, Scotland, but had actually been sold to a distillery in Turkey. So these, these beautiful stills made their way all from Northern Scotland, made by Northern fabricators, all the way through Elgin, Scotland, all the way to Turkey and then back to Virginia. Um, and, and Gareth was standing in the field and he just saw these, these beautiful pot stills that were just standing silently in the field. And that is when he made the decision. That is when he said, you know what? I, I think we're going to do this. And he picked up the phone and he said, let's do it for dad. And if that's not an origin story, like, I don't know what is. And, you know, I think that we, uh, it, it is a very interesting thing to be carrying on a dream of someone you haven't met. But I think that everybody who was part of the company at the time and everybody who's part of the company now really takes that seriously. So, you know, the anecdote is like, We'll try something and we'll be like, oh, is this up to George standard? Okay, maybe we need to work on it a little longer. Or, oh, you know, did, did we, was that was like, you know, like, like good enough for George? Would George be proud? Yeah. And, and, and there's a lot, of, a lot of thought process around that. And we have an internal um, value of what we call continuous improvement. Um, and that means, you know, even day to day, minute to minute, how we communicate, how we create signage. And everything leads back to this, this decision that Gareth made that like, no, we're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to do it right. I mean, as for just funny anecdote, um, I am pretty new to the company. Uh, so I have not had the chance to have like some, some real wild things happen yet, but I have heard some pretty hilarious stories of like the other day, apparently a three-legged dog, like got loose on the property and like caused havoc. And then, you know, it, the whole, the whole fiasco of trying to grow the barley that just, just was a darn nightmare. And then lately um, we have been aligning and working with a helicopter company uh, to, to give our, our um, uh, whiskey champions the opportunity to fly from Cho uh -huh. to our distillery in a helicopter. And I cannot begin to tell you the things when you don't fly a helicopter, right? The things you would never consider conversations you have to have around the safety of flying a helicopter. So there's, there's been a, a lot of fun discovery for me um, at the company. <laughs> nice. That's a, that's a nice commute. That's actually a really good commute. Uh, no, I, I think what, what I can do here is, uh, like I said, we're playing the front nine game. So I'm going to com combine two uh, questions and kind of, what do you what do you see um, kind of based off of tastings and, and looking towards the future? What what are some of the ideas of future releases and uh, kind of, you know, what things can we be, I know the double reserves out now. What, what are some things in the pipeline that are that are coming that people might not know that Virginia distillings kind of hide behind the behind the curtains right now? 
Well, I can't speak specifically, but I, I can speak generally. Yes. Uh, I think what you're going to see, um, I, I, we we are talking about a very specific launch at the top of next year. So what you're going to begin to see is we have the luxury of our whiskeys are getting older, right? Yeah. So now we're getting to play in the range of like seven, eight, even. You're going to begin to see the distillery um, do some pretty cool releases, um, most likely limited releases, but releases that are that are eking up. You know, the standard for us for about three to five years um, has been a four-year whiskey. Now, with the climate being as volatile as it is, that's fine. Four, four years is exactly what we need to create something as good as maybe, you know, a 12 uh, a year, you know, in Scotland. Um, but we're beginning to see these flavor profiles uh, that are showing up in the five, six, seven that we've never yeah. seen before. Um, the other thing is we're looking forward to doing some really cool partnerships. We are in conversation um, with a military organization that's very close to our hearts. Um, you know, to support veterans through some of the work that we do. Um, we're also doing some pretty cool maturation. So I tried a whiskey yesterday with our lead blender, Amanda. Um, I can't tell you what it is, but yeah. it boasted, like when you when you brought it to your nose, it boasted like a like a lemon drop on the nose, which is, you know, that's not that's not too uncommon for us. But then on the palate and on the finish, it was root beer float mixed with cocoa. Whoa. And you're like, what is even <laughs> happening right now? So Amanda is doing all of these just cool experiments, yeah. the casks, having a great time. So what a I fun job. Yeah, you're, you're going to see some stuff coming out from us that you would never expect. Weird casks, older ages, limited releases, stuff to get uh, to wet your whistle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, uh, just for, uh, you know, that. That kind of hits the, the, the main topics I want to hit. It. We'll hit one fun question here. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, if outside of the Virginia distilling line, and we can keep it in single malt or we can go anywhere, is there a particular brand or type of whiskey? It could be type or even brand. And, and what would you pair that with? It could be a food. It could be an activity. So I give examples. Like I went to Virginia Tech, which is in the western part of the state, and uh, – were the Hokies, which is a which is a turkey. So, granted, I was drank a lot of wild turkey through college, and when I sit down in the you know in in the winter months in the autumn, I watch a football game. I'll, I'll pour a wild turkey just because it kind of matches the history and what I remember. For you, what would be outside of the Virginia Company? What would be your go to grab, and what would you pair it with? Okay, I, it's always hard for me to answer this question because I. It's always like it's not what I what I drink. It's like what am I drinking now? Because yeah. obviously, you know, times times shift and change. I am laughing though. I used to be in a very large uh, funk band, um, which had a back line, and we'd always before we'd do a, a show, we would all shoot wild turkey and say, "Don't be a jerky, drink wild turkey." <laughs> um, long time ago. <laughs> me too. <laughs> But, I'm further from that point than I am closer to that point. So. Right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm more towards like the Geritol. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I did a lot of, I did a lot of thinking about this. First of all, there is nothing more incredible than drinking whiskey outside. I think it changes the entire profile, fresh air, especially the cool crisp air. Yep. I've had the luxury of drinking a lot of scotch in Scotland outside in the cool crisp air. Um, so if I could have my perfect moment in the next couple of weeks, like I haven't had a lot of downtime, um, I would be hanging out by a campfire, yeah. uh, with my sweetheart, John, 
And I would probably be sipping on a Lagavulin 16. So that's a that's a pretty, pretty good Very nice. And the reason for that is, is I don't tend on a regular basis to reach for peated whiskeys. Um, yeah. I do love them. I mean, I have many peated whiskeys I love. Um, but that one for me is just, it's a timeless classic. I go back to it every fall. It has that kind of like sweater weather vibe, yeah. you know, like little pumpkin pie, you know, and, and oh, I, yeah, perfect, perfect I, pairing. Yeah. I think peated whiskeys to me are the, that was something that I never thought I would appreciate. And then the first time I had it, I was like, what is this? Like, mm -hmm. it just, it's, it's just, it takes you on an adventure. There's no doubt about it. Um, well, well, like I said, that's, that's kind of, uh, the, the front nine. Um, uh, we're excited to bring a group out there coming shortly. Uh, I'll let you close it out. Any, any, anything else you, you thought I should have hit on, or you want to, uh, kind of push out to the, to our audience and, uh, and again, they need to come and visit y'all here in, in Lovingston and, and actually see the distillery and, and take a tour. So uh, I'll let you close this out. How's that? Thank you. I, I have three things. I, I listen to this fantastic podcast that I really adore um, called Behind the Bastards. Like, like highly recommend. But um, at the very end of every podcast, the host, Robert, says, are you going to plug your pluggables? So I'm going to plug my pluggables. Yes. Three pluggables. Where can we find you? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So number one, you can find us at vadistillery.com. That's that's a major hub, um, and we will be transferring over to a new platform soon called CourageAndConviction.com. But for right now, VA Distillery is the place to find us. Number two, um, we have created uh, as leaders in the category a beautiful, comprehensive, fantastic thing called ASMAcademy.com. So what this means is you, Brian, um, could go on there. And you can literally watch a series of videos that will take you through the entire history, ethos, and creation of American single malt and our American single malt. And then you get to graduate and you get a little card that says you graduated ASL. Uh, I'm in. It's so, it's so beautiful. I mean, they did such a beautiful job. And then last but not least, um, I'm not only the head of advocacy, I also have a secondary part of my role, which is that, that I am uh, the head of select private casks. So what this means is for someone out there in whiskey land, um, if you want to be an individual to come to us and purchase a half cask or an entire cask of our whiskey, we will keep it for you. We will mature it for you. There's a lot of incredible perks. Uh, the, the, the subsidiary group inside is called Cask Society. So yes. if that is something that is exciting to you, you can reach out to me um, either on Instagram at the Jennifer Wren or at my email, Jenny at VADistillery.com and, and ask about owning one of our beautiful casks. So that's a little, little fun thing that a lot of people don't know that we do. That's, that's awesome. I'll, I'll hit you up on that later. Uh, that might be something we'll yeah. do in the future. Uh, but thank you for your time. I encourage everyone to get out there. And if you haven't experienced a Virginia uh, single malt yet, you need to. Thank you again. Yeah. And Brian, I am like, I'm so glad you're coming to visit us because it's one thing to sit here and talk about whiskey when you yeah. are standing at our hundred acre, stunningly beautiful. Oh, I, I've, been there, conversation. <laughs> I've been there two times, uh, three times, actually. Uh, the first time I didn't know whiskey, so I didn't know what to do. And it was, it was ugly. Didn't quite know how to taste whiskey that the last two times has been spectacular and actually this barrel is actually a virginia uh distillery company barrel i bought it and oh, made hell it yeah. a little bar so uh yeah i'll be out there again and i appreciate your time thank you so much thank you so much brian you have a fantastic day all right you do the same bye-bye this has been a fuel production